Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. Well, this morning, I, uh, I'm going to share my nerves with you. See, I've got no notes in front of me, which means this could go for an hour. <laughs> no, no, I've only got to be given three minutes to, to just share. I guess during the week, I got given um, a text by Luke to say, um, what's God been doing in your life? And maybe it's time that you can share something of what God's been doing. And uh, I really believe it's important for us to share each other's stories and testimonies of what God is doing, because I think that spurs us or stirs us. And that's what I want to do this morning with you, um, to stir you up to love and good deeds, to encourage you. So you walk away realizing an average Joe or an average Sanger um, (laughs) um, can make a difference in um, people's lives. And look, I haven't got a story of of profound, um, you know, somebody's come to the Lord or anything like that. But it was just in the everyday life uh, in the last two to three weeks, God is doing some work. Um, and I guess Luke asked me, look, what's, what, how have you been applying the bless principle? So do we know what the bless principle is very quickly? B is begin with prayer, which is probably the hardest part of bless in my opinion. E is easy. So um, B is begin with prayer. L is to listen to one another. E is to eat that I love, okay? We love to eat with each other. S is to serve one another, and the other S is to tell your story to one another. So I started to ponder about, well, what is it that I've um, done? And I guess some of it's been intentional, some of it's just been spur of the moment. And I thought to myself, well, there was a time when on the long weekend, our neighbor went off um, to Canberra, and I saw his garden was just going crazy. So I thought, look, I've got to do my garden, so I'll just take the mow around the corner and mow his lawn for him. And he was really thankful when he got back. Who the heck uh, mowed my lawn? So he realized it was me because uh, he told me that he was going away. So that's just a, a simple thing in, as part of life where we can bless and be generous. Um, another situation that occurred um, was uh, a friend was uh, ill and it was really a great opportunity for me to, and Priya, specifically Priya, Priya does a little cooking. I just promote it. Um, so I'm the marketing manager of our family. So um, she cooked up a meal for a friend of ours, and he came over and uh, and picked up this meal. And it was great because I was able to tell my neighbor, who was just having a chat, we're having a beer together type of thing, and um, and he got to see what it is that it is to love one another. You know how the Bible talks about, by this they shall know. Who's they? The people that don't believe know that you have love for one another when we're actually loving on each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's be public, in my opinion, about our love for one another, not just in here as a church. One quick last story, and I realize I'm going a bit long now, is um, I, I guess what I want to encourage you is to be a little open and brave um, because it was very fearful for me. We were coming around the corner uh, one evening and um, there was a guy that was on the floor on the ground, on the nature strip, on his phone. And I was a little worried. Something's happened. He's either had a stroke or something like that. So we pulled off to the side and Priya straight away puts her hand out onto my hand and go, don't do anything crazy. 
And so I'm like, yeah, 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 he's probably drunk or or somebody dangerous. So in the past, in my past life, I would have just said, nah, you know what? It's too dangerous. I've got a family in my car. I'm not going to do anything. But my heart was overwhelmed with both conviction and compassion because here's what it is that I believe and here's what it is that I believe to be true that we need to be reaching out and yet I would be easily in the past just drive past. So long story short, I dropped the kids off at home and drove back and realized that he needed some help. And so I parked my car, put my wallet (laughs) safe in the car and I fearfully but with some strength from the Lord, I believe, walked over to him in the park and said, well, look, mate, is everything okay? Because you look pretty bad. <laughs> and he just says, no, 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 my wife's left me um, and my ch- she's taken my kids away and I've got to deal with the DA. And he was just really frantic. And, and I think, honestly, he was on drugs and he was falling asleep on me. And, and I guess in terms of talking to you about the blessed principle, it was just natural. It came naturally to want to listen to what this man had to say, his hurts, his pain, his suffering, and then to take him and grab him a pizza and just spend more time with him and see that he's okay, that he didn't need to go to the hospital or anything like that. So I guess what I would love for you guys to take away from this lesson that I've learned and I would love for you to learn as well is just keep an eye out for little things that in the past where you might have just said, nah, they'll be right. She'll be right, mate. You know, no worries type of thing. And just Go that one little step extra in, in faith and in trusting the Lord that he will look after you. And who knows, you know, I've kept in touch with this person. His name's Clint. You can pray for him, um, but nothing's really eventuated, but he needs help. And so if you can pray for him, and I guess to encourage you to say, do that little extra um, and, and do it in the Lord. And, and it's, it's just a wonderful opportunity to bless. So thanks. morning, church. Today's Bible reading is Jonah chapter 4. If I can turn my iPad around and get back to the right chapter. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, "'Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home?' This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what happened to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, 
You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It has sprung up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? This is Jonah, and he's overboard. A few minutes ago, he was up here with these guys, but they threw him into the sea. To understand why, let's back up. Jonah was a prophet. He got messages from God and delivered them to people. God will restore our land. Everything was fine until God gave him this message. In 40 days, you will be destroyed. Jonah didn't like the message, and he really didn't like Nineveh. So he did what any of us might do when confronted with the clear, unchanging will of an all-powerful God. He ran. He ran in the opposite direction of Nineveh. And he didn't stop at the sea. He kept going on this boat with these guys. Until they realized that Jonah was the cause of this horrible storm that tossed their ship, and they tossed him overboard. That's when Jonah met the very big fish. Fish stomachs are strange places, but they get you thinking about life. And Jonah realized he'd made a mess of his. He decided that God's way is the best way, no matter what. And he got the chance to prove it. Jonah arrived. And the video ended unexpectedly. <laughs> the video usually ends with uh, people celebrating and lifting Jonah up in the air and celebrating that uh, he was a hero. And I was going to say that it was a video that's very lovely, but a video that's very inaccurate. And it was obviously put together by a group of people who never actually read Jonah chapter 4. They ended at the end of chapter 3 and thought, let's make a movie on that. And they forgot about Jonah chapter 4, which is a bit of a shame because today we're up to Jonah chapter 4. And I think there's some lessons in this chapter that we can learn from together today. Now, since we started here at Follow in July this year, we've been talking a lot about mission. And our main focus throughout the book of Acts uh, was being a people on mission. That's really flowed into our series through the book of Jonah as well. And we talked a little bit about the, the truth that we don't want to simply be a church that gathers together and puts on a service, but rather we want to be a community that gathers together, worships God, gathers around the word, prays together, and then goes empowered by the Holy Spirit every week to be people on mission. And I love Sanjeev's story because he's someone who's living that out each and every week, being obedient to the promptings of the Holy Spirit so that we can be a blessing in our local community, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we want to be a church on mission, and we want to live missional lives. But if we're going to do that in a way that pleases God, we need to come back and make sure that the motivation for mission is actually right. And as we conclude our series today in the book of Jonah, we will see that Jonah's motivation for mission was actually terribly wrong. Motivation is so important in everything we do. 
Uh, just this week on Facebook, I posted a question uh, helping with my sermon and asking people to share illustrations of times when they've had people in their lives do things that were nice, but they've done them with the wrong motivation. And I got some interesting answers. First one I got was one person wrote and said, people who donate to the uh, Children's Hospital Appeal, but only up their donation if the donation is read out on live TV. Someone else said, my kids offer to dish out dessert when we have ice cream, only so they can make themselves a bigger bowl. Another parent said, buying my kids cool stuff because I love them, but really only doing it because I don't want to look like the stingy parent at the school. Another person said, pretending to be someone's friend with the hope you can pursue their brother or sister or daughter or son romantically. It's desperate measures. Someone else said, complimenting someone's possessions with the hope that they will give or share with you what they have. So for example, saying that chocolate donut looks awesome. I really wish I bought money for the canteen this morning. I'm so hungry. And you, you try and get the donut. I've used that one myself. <laughs> Another mother, this is a bit of a common theme, mum's posting on Facebook for this particular one, said that our youngest son pulled out a not ready tooth out of his mouth. The next morning when he saw the money on the bench from the mummy tooth fairy, he said, yes, I knew my plan to get more money would work. A young entrepreneur right there. Another person who will remain nameless, another lady said, uh, leaving meat out to defrost for your wife until it goes hot in the hope that you have pizza for dinner. Now, that person will remain anonymous, but I sense today that there's a particular application for Sean Delaney um, to take on board in that particular circumstance. And then I thought of my own household. Where is there something that occurs where, where someone does something that seems lovely, but they do it for their own motivation? And the only thing that came to mind is our oldest daughter, Adele, who, uh, who always calls me dad, um, but occasionally she'll call me daddy. Now, it sounds lovely, doesn't it? You think, Father of the Year, it's a term of endearment, gee, I must be doing well as a dad. No, that's not right at all. When she says Daddy, it's code word for I want something. And so I'm going to call you Daddy. And I asked her this week if I could use that as an illustration, because I always ask my wife and kids before I use them as an illustration. That's a lie, I don't really. But I did try to turn over a new leaf. And so I asked her, and she gave me permission, as long as I use it in the past tense, because she said, Dad, I haven't done that for a month and a half or so. <laughs> so six weeks ago, that was the old Adele, but now we have a new daughter uh, just in the last six weeks, so that's what she used to do, and I'm sure she'll never do it again, <laughs> especially if I keep mentioning it in sermons. But the truth is that motivation is so important. I don't know about you, but when I, um, someone does something nice for me, but I find out later down the track that they only did it because there was something in it for them, it kind of loses its impact. Remember a few years ago, I was at a church and I had a young adult pastor who was my leader and um, we were doing these evangelistic nights on a Sunday night and the aim was to bring your friends along and they'd hear the gospel and, and he had this idea and he said he wanted everyone in the young adult ministry to get one of their um, Christian friends and one of their pre-Christian friends and then take your pre-Christian friend out for dinner. And the whole idea of this dinner was to give them a flyer about the evangelistic service coming up. Now, the service that was coming up was focusing on uh, the movie Star Wars and some of the Christian themes that you can find in Star Wars. And I had a mate uh, who was a really good mate who loved Star Wars. So I thought, here's a great opportunity to invite him to church. So I got a Christian friend of mine. We went to Southland Shopping Centre and we sat down and we had dinner together. And then we're going to go see a movie afterwards. At the end of dinner, I took the flyer out and I said to my pre-Christian mate, hey, we've got this night coming up at church 
And he'd been before, so it wasn't a foreign thing to him. And it's about Star Wars. We're looking at Star Wars, the movie, and I know you love Star Wars, and so I'd love you to come along and check it out. And uh, he seemed quite interested, and he took the flyer, and he said, that sounds really good. And then he looked at the date, and he said, oh, unfortunately, that weekend, my wife and I are going away. So I said, oh, that's all right, no worries, I'll keep you in mind next time. Well, at that point, my good-meaning, my well-meaning Christian friend jumped in and went into overdrive. It's like he shifted up, shifted up a, another gear, and he started to say, oh, why don't you change the weekend to going away with your wife? You know, you could do it another time. Uh, it's going to be a great service. I reckon you're really going to miss out. And, and I'm sitting there praying, Lord, please help him stop. Please help him stop now. But he kept going. And I'll never forget the moment. I saw it in my, my friend's eyes, my pre-Christian friend's eyes, the moment when he realized, I see what this is all about. This is not about taking me out for dinner. This is about inviting me to a church service. And he's never been back to church since. And it's a real shame. And what I want to say about having the right motivation for what we do is that if we have a motivation that's anything but our love for God and our love for people, people will spot a phony and a fake from a mile away. And we'll actually end up pushing them further away than attracting them further to the love of Christ. And so we need to make sure that our motivation for mission is right. It's one of the things I love about Red Frogs, that the Red Frogs team go and their mission is to serve to do what Jesus did, to say that I have not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life. And as Andrew said so eloquently a moment ago, it's often when we do that, that greater opportunities actually come about because people see Jesus in us as we serve them and as we love them. So we need to make sure that our motivation for mission is right. And so my question for us this morning is, what is our motivation for mission? I've met people in the past, it seems like their motivation is uh, like a sense of duty or a sense of obligation. Okay, Luke keeps talking about mission or the Bible talks about mission, so I guess we've got to do it. That's what we've got to do. Okay, I'm going to go on mission and I'm going to be on mission this week. For other people, it seems to be that they're on mission because they want to earn God's love. You know, I want God to love me. I'm desperate for him to love me. So, so I need to go and knock on doors and I need to go and serve him on mission because if I don't, I'll never earn relationship with him. Now, if that's our understanding of mission, then we've completely missed the truth of the gospel. Because the truth of the gospel is that God loves us not based on what we do or don't do. He loves us unconditionally. And so mission shouldn't come from this effort to try and strive and earn relationship with God. It should come from the security that we're already loved by God. And that we're so loved by Him and we're so secure in that incredible love that we just can't wait to tell other people about it. For other people, uh, their motivated motivation for mission is to, to look good, to maybe feel good, to have that, you know, that warm, fuzzy feeling, which is certainly a benefit of mission, but for some people that's their motivation. For others, they think to be missional is kind of like this trendy word, and so we've got to be missional, and so we're, we're doing this because it's trendy, but when the fad sort of runs out, we'll stop being missional. As a pastor, I've got to constantly question my own motivations. Why have we planted a church? Why are we on mission? Is it to make a name for myself? Is it to um, be a success, whatever that is termed to be by the world around us? Is it to be a huge church with our own TV program? Uh, What is the motivation for, for planting a church and being people on mission? Because if it's any of those things, we've actually got it completely wrong. Today we're going to see that Jonah's motivation for mission was also very wrong. And so let me recap the story so far. I'm going to do so by recapping each chapter with seven or less words. Let's see if we can do this. Chapter 1. 
Jonah disobeys God, swallowed by a whale. Jonah chapter 2, Jonah repents and prays in fish's guts. Jonah chapter 3, Jonah preaches, Nineveh repents. Jonah chapter 4, which we're up to today, Jonah's heart revealed, ugliest chapter in Jonah. Last week I said that the book of Jonah is like a passion fruit. It's kind of ugly on the outside and it's really sweet uh, on the inside. So chapter 1 is very ugly, chapter 2 and 3 are a sweet spot. But today we get to chapter 4 and I think we find what is the ugliest part of the whole book. Now that's a, a pretty big call. When chapter 1, Jonah completely turned away from God, ran away from God, disobeyed God, was swallowed by a whale. I mean, that's pretty bad. Life doesn't get much worse than that. But chapter 4, I think, is even uglier. And the reason I think it's uglier is because it reveals the true state of Jonah's heart. I used to think that I'd love to be a character in the Bible. You know, everyone hears about all the great things you did for God. They go, wow, what a man of faith. That's incredible. Uh, He's so good. And I want to be like him. I want to aspire to be like him. But the more I read scripture, the more and more I'm relieved that my life is not recorded in this book. Because you'll notice that when we see characters in the Bible, we see them warts and all. Yes, we see the wonderful things they do and they are there forever. But the bad things they do, they are there forever as well. And so I'm so glad my life is not recorded in scripture for everyone to see generation after generation. And I imagine if Jonah read this book written about his life, he would really wish that it ended at the end of chapter 3 like the video did. He's a hero, this great man of God, this prophet, goes, people are saved, uh, you know, they celebrate, it's wonderful. But the problem for Jonah is that the story doesn't end there. And as a result, the prophet's heart is not hidden, but in chapter 4 it's put out there for us all to see. His heart and his motivation is kind of revealed for all of us. It's the great reveal. And as we read it, it's kind of cringeworthy. I think we can all relate to this at times. This room is filled with so many great people, so many great people. But I think the truth is that sometimes when we turn the mirror on ourselves, sometimes what is reflected back is rather ugly. I'm not talking about physically. We're all a very good looking bunch of people here in this room. But I'm talking emotionally. And more to the point, I'm talking spiritually. Sometimes what we see when we are convicted by the Holy Spirit, it's not pretty. It's kind of dark. And you might be sitting there today thinking, well, Luke, maybe for you, but not for me. I'm, I'm pretty good. If I uh, turn the mirror back on myself, I actually wouldn't be about that worried about what I see. Uh, you know, I look around here and I sort of compare myself to everyone else in the room. And, and when I look at what's around me, man, I'm doing pretty well. Well, let me say it another way today. If we were to track... Every single word, every single emotion, every single thought, every single action in your life for the next month. And if we could put all of those down and record them and type them into a Word document. The question is, would you be comfortable for me to get up here in a month's time and read that out to the congregation? Every thought, the thought you had about that other person. The thing you said when the person cut you off in the car, the actions you commit when you're all by yourself, that image you saw, that video you watched on the internet, those words of gossip you said when you were chatting to your friend, the motivations of your heart, everything, if everything was recorded and documented for all to see, I imagine if I asked for volunteers today, there would be a 100% non-volunteer rate. 
None of us would be comfortable having our lives read out to everyone if every single thing was recorded. Why? Because Christian or not, there's some dark stuff that happens in our heart. And that's why apart from Jesus, without the gospel, we can never be saved. Because we try, don't we? We try to follow Jesus, but ultimately we fail to really follow him. And so if we put our faith in our own righteousness and our own sense of being a good person, then we will always fall short of God's standard. And so we have no choice but to throw ourselves at the foot of the cross, to throw ourselves on the mercy and the grace of a compassionate God who loves us. You know, Christians are often perceived by the world around us to be kind of judgmental, to be a little bit high high and mighty, a little bit self-righteous, a little bit looking down our nose at others. But I think the best way to remain humble is to constantly ask the Holy Spirit to reveal our own hearts back to us. I think there's nothing better than that to remind us that we've actually got nothing to boast about. We're actually no better than anyone else. We are not uh, any better at all. We're just forgiven. And it just reminds us what an awesome saviour that we have. The grace of God is absolutely incredible. And so in chapter 4, as we look at Jonah's life, it reveals the heart of this prophet, this man of God. Now, if you remember chapter 3 last week, it actually finished on a real high point. It was a great moment in the story. The Ninevites had listened to Jonah's message, they'd repented, and they'd responded with true repentance. He said last week it wasn't just a response with words, yeah, I'm sorry. No, no, they'd actually turned their back on what they were doing, and they responded not just with words, but with actions. And they came back to God. Listen to the last verse of chapter 3 that we read last week. It said, When God saw what they did, the Ninevites, and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented, and he did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. This is a great moment in the story, isn't it? This really should be party time for Jonah. Here's this guy. God gave this one man a message for a city that was evil and violent. And he goes into this city of 120,000 people, just one man, and he preaches the word God gave him. And now 120,000 people are saved and spared from the judgment of God. Now let's put this in perspective today. 120,000 people. That's four times the amount of people that are currently living in Pakenham. This is huge. This is a, a dream come true. Can you imagine if, if one day God would use us as a church and every single person in Pakenham was saved? Can you imagine if every person in Pakenham, not only Pakenham, but Berwick and Officer and Beaconsfield, every single person was saved through the work of Follow Baptist Church? I mean, that would be an absolute dream come true. That would be something supernatural happening right there. Bible says, whatever we do, do it for the glory of God. And I think the glory of God is revealed when people are saved. Because the Bible says that God's desire is that none should perish. That's right, zero. None. And it's a good reminder to us that we will never lay eyes on anybody that God doesn't love as much as he loves us. We will never lay eyes on anybody that God the Father did not give his son up for. We will never lay eyes on anybody that Jesus wasn't willing to die on the cross for. It's incredible. 120,000 people saved. God loves, God so loved the world that he gave his only son Jesus that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's 
the message we've been given to share. And so we turn the page from chapter 3 and we turn the page over to chapter 4 and we're kind of expecting some sort of great celebration for Jonah, some sort of honouring of this great man of God. But let me read to you what verse 1 of chapter 4 actually says. In light of all this, it says, But Jonah was greatly displeased. And he became angry. In the new NIV, it says, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. What we're seeing is the dark motivation of Jonah's mission. His heart is actually fully revealed to us. And we see that he eventually went to Nineveh, not because he wanted to see this 120,000 people saved, but rather he went to Nineveh because he wanted to see this 120,000 people wiped out. Here he is, a man of God. Apparently, and yet his motivation is terrible. And perhaps the sweet spot of chapter 2 and 3 wasn't actually quite as sweet as we thought. I read a commentary on this verse just this week, and it said, This is not the new Jonah, who followed with firm tread the signpost pointing to Nineveh. But this is a reversion to the old man who ran away from God's will and service. I like the sentiment. I'm not actually convinced I agree with it, though, because I'm not sure whether we ever saw a new man. We might have seen a new man in the words he said on the outside, but I'm not sure that we saw a man with pure motivations. In chapter 2, Jonah rejoiced in the fact that he was saved from the whale, and he says salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation is the name of our series. But when he goes to Nineveh, there's actually no sign of that message of salvation, but instead he simply says in verse 4, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. You see, he carried the message of judgment, but there's actually no message of salvation. And how sad that is. And how often do we meet Christians who are the same? They go on and on about judgment, but they never ever talk about the love of Christ. Surely if we're going to have a message to share, we start with this incredible, unconditional love of God expressed most powerfully at the cross. You see, when we go out on mission... We do so with the aim of carrying a message of salvation which will help people avoid God's judgment. Romans 1.16, um, we're not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of salvation for every person who believes. And so how could this prophet of God, this man of God, possibly be motivated by such evil intentions? Well, I think we've only got to look at the world today to see that there are ideologies out there that are also quite evil, ideologies that... Uh, like the one held by ISIS, for example, that see anyone outside of their understanding as enemies. They have no regard for those people, and hence we see the atrocities that are happening in our world, whether that's in Lebanon or uh, Syria or Australia or the US or Paris, right around the world. The problem is that these ideologies, they hate anyone outside of their worldview, and they actually want them wiped out. Most of us think that's hideous. That is repulsive to the vast majority of people in the world. But it's an ideology held by many today. And unfortunately, when we look at the New Testament, it seems to be the way that God's chosen people, Israel, often viewed the rest of the world. They believed that they'd been chosen by God, which they had, but they misunderstood why God chose them. We've already looked at Genesis chapter 12. God chose them, he blessed them so they would be a blessing to all nations. But most of the Old Testament shows us that Israel took hold of their chosenness, but they actually abandoned their mission. And we're going to be so careful we don't do the same. 
so easy to go, wow, I'm a child of God, I'm a son or a daughter of the living God, and that's incredible. But at the same time, we've got to remember that we've been saved for a purpose. We've been purchased by the blood of Christ to go and make disciples of all nations, to share the message of Jesus Christ. And so we've got to be careful not to hold on to our chosenness and yet abort our mission. So important. But when we look at Israel, they had this ideology that everyone outside of their worldview was worthless, was outside of God's will and love and plan. They often referred to them as Gentile dogs, as unclean, as unworthy. And I think the book of Jonah is just another reminder for us that that worldview is actually not reflective of God's heart. It's a lot about Israel, this book. But we're reminded as Christians today that Christianity is not meant to be that way. Jesus himself said, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? So that you may be children of your father in heaven. And yet Jonah missed it. And we see this ideology in his life where people outside of Israel were seen as worthless. We see it in verse 2. He prayed to the Lord. At least he's finally praying. That's good. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is why I tried to stall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate, God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And now that you've done that, I'm, I'm furious. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than it is to live. It's interesting, isn't it? In chapter 2, this same man praised God for his mercy when it applied to himself. But now he wants to die because of God's mercy to those at Nineveh. You know, it's easy for us to look at him and go, wow, how could he do that? What a hypocrite. But the minute we say those words, we often condemn ourselves, don't we? Because so often we stand in that same place of judgment. And I really think that the hypocritical nature of our hearts is powerfully revealed when we readily receive mercy from God and yet demand judgment for others. Let me say that again. The hypocritical nature of our heart is powerfully revealed when we readily receive the grace and mercy of God and yet demand his judgment on others. I think this is the very thing that God's trying to teach Jonah. And the irony of this story is that Jonah himself is a picture of Nineveh. And his story, at the very same time, is running parallel with the story of Nineveh. Let me explain that to you today. We see that Jonah, in the story, disobeyed God. We see that he repented. And then we see that Jonah was saved. And then once he saved, he rejoiced. He said, wow, God is awesome. Salvation comes from the Lord. God is so good. And yet, at the same time, exactly the same thing is happening with Nineveh. Nineveh disobeyed. Nineveh repented. God saved Nineveh, but now instead of rejoicing, he is so angry that he wishes he were dead. He's happy with mercy for himself, but he wants judgment for others. And even though God's trying to show him this and teaching this, he just doesn't seem to see it. He hasn't yet got the hypocrisy of his own heart. If you're a teacher here today, you will know that some people are auditory learners. They hear something and they learn it straight away. Other people are visual learners. They will see something and that will help them to learn. But there are also kinesthetic learners. Kinesthetic learners are people who remember best um, through things that they experience. 
And as I read this story, I start to think maybe Jonah is one of these kind of learners. He needs to experience stuff. You know, there's some people you counsel and, and they listen to your wisdom and they, they take it on board and they avert disaster. And there's other people you talk to and by the time you finish talking to them, you just know they're going to have to go through this because they know better than everyone else and the only way they're going to learn is to experience it. And I think Jonah's a little bit like that. In chapter 1, God is speaking to him. He doesn't get it. The sailors speak to him. He doesn't get it. He sees the storm all around him. He doesn't get it. He gets swallowed by a whale. He goes, God got it. Finally got it. He had to experience it. Chapter 4 is the same. Once again, God's speaking to him. He's asking him question, questions. And once again, he's not getting it. And so God once again turns to the experiential. He needs to experience something to finally get it. In verse 5, we, we learn that Jonah's already left the city by this stage. He's uh, made himself a shelter and he's sitting to see what happens to the city. And so he's a little bit like one of those demolition guys. He's gone in, he's rigged up the building with the dynamite, he's dropped his judgment bomb, 40 days you guys are going to be wiped out. Now he's cleared out of the city and he's sitting down just watching and hoping that the city will be leveled. This is what he's doing. And so here he is sitting there. In his disobedience, he's sulking with the evil intentions of his heart, fully revealed. And even in the midst of that, we see God's grace. Don't you love that about God? Even when we're doing the wrong thing, God is still gracious. He's still kind. He's still compassionate. He still loves us. And in verse 6, when Jonah's sitting there, it says, The Lord God provided for him a leafy plant, and he made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And what did Jonah say about it? It says, Jonah was very happy about the plant. How ironic this is. That here he is in his disobedience, in the midst of his evil intentions, God is gracious to him and he's happy about it. But at the very same time, when God is being gracious to Nineveh, he's furious. In verse 7, God wants to teach him a lesson. And basically, I think what he's doing is he says to Jonah, I'm going to take your theology now. I'm going to turn it back on you and I'm going to see how you actually like it. And it shows us in the passage that evidently he doesn't like it. The shoe that he wanted Nineveh to wear, he's now wearing, and he's not happy with the fit. He doesn't like it. It says at verse 7, At dawn the next day God provided a worm, which came to that very same plant and chewed it so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. It's like God's trying to teach him a lesson. No slip, slop, slap for you, Jonah. Uh, the wind's coming now. You're going to get burnt. And it says, when the sun um, rose and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint, he wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. This reminds me of my kids. Of course it is. But every right to be angry. I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. It does sound like something the kids would say, doesn't it? He's like a spoiled little brat having a little tanty. And I think at this point, God's achieved what he's trying to achieve. And now he wants to show Jonah the moral of the story. In verse 10, he says, Jonah, you're worried about this vine, this temporary vine, and yet you've invested nothing into it. You didn't make it, you didn't tend it, you didn't make it grow, you're concerned about it, but it sprang up overnight and then it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which I have invested in? in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot, cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. He's saying, if you care so much about something you've invested nothing into, how should I feel about this city of people that I created? 
the city of people that I love, the city of people that I take great delight in saving. And it's a reminder to us that God cares. God cares about people and he wants us to as well. And so as we wrap up this series, what have we learnt from this book of Jonah? Well, we've learnt that God is gracious and compassionate. We should have already known this, shouldn't we? But it's a great reminder. He is gracious. He's compassionate. He is slow to anger. He's abounding in love. We've learnt that God loves all people. And his desire is that none of them should perish. We've learnt the importance of obeying God and being people on mission. We've learnt about the importance of repentance. People that come to God repenting of our sin. Most of all, I pray that this story would cause us to reflect on our own hearts. And that it would turn us back to God. Relying on his Holy Spirit to make us more like Jesus. And that our motivation for mission would come from a desire to please God to bring him glory, to bless people, to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that his name would be lifted high over this region for the glory of God. Let's bow our heads and we're going to pray. Lord God, we thank you for the story of Jonah. We thank you for the lessons that we can learn in it. And Lord, we remember as we read through this book that you are incredibly awesome. Lord over the sea, Lord over the land, Lord over all circumstances, You are awesome, Lord. We're reminded of that, but we're also reminded that we are not. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be people that would reflect your heart attitude, that we'd be slow to judge, slow to condemn, quick to love. In today's climate, Lord, it's so easy to pigeonhole people. It's easy to make generalizations. It's easy to say who are our friends and who are our enemies. But whether people are friends or enemies, the command is the same. You ask us to love them unconditionally. And so we love our enemies, Lord. We pray for them, particularly those who persecute us. Lord, this sounds ridiculous. We know that we cannot do it in our own strength, and so we call on you to help us. We need a supernatural love that comes only from you. We need agape love, a love that comes only from God to be poured into our hearts so that we can pour it into the lives of others. Help us to be self-sacrificial. Help our love to be unconditional. Lord, I pray that your love would flow into our hearts so that it would flow into the lives of others. As we do that, Lord, I pray that you would bless us so that we would be a blessing to the world around us. We ask that officer would be impacted, perhaps even transformed by your love. And may it be your love that compels us. And may it motivate us to be people on mission. In Jesus' name, amen.